0: let's uh let's turn to Mark seven, the last time that we uh, considered Mark was uh, last week the first thirteen verses, I believe. and tonight we continue somewhat along that same line, but a most remarkable passage. So let's read verses 14 through 23. Okay. Let's read verses 14 through 23. And I'm sorry, I took my own Bible up here, so I've got the NIV version. I don't think it's remarkably different, but... uh, Reading from that, again, again, now this is just after Jesus has had this discussion with the Pharisees about hand-washing for uh, ritual purposes uh, to avoid uncleanness. Uh, Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man makes him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. "'Are you so dull?' he asked. "'Don't you see?' that nothing enters a man from the that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean for it doesn't go into his heart but into his stomach and then out of his body and then this little parenthetical in saying this Jesus declared all foods clean he went on What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean, for from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider your word, uh, it is our desire to understand, take it with us utmost seriousness, and apply it to our lives. As we consider this passage this evening, help us to treat your word rightly, to, to see, above all, to see you and to see you as the fulfillment. Uh, of all things so that even the passages against foods that are unclean are radically re-understood, re-applied in light of your presence, your victory uh, won for us at the cross and through your resurrection We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is, uh, upon reflection, a most unusual passage of all people. Certainly Christ, number one, knew the Scripture, took it with utmost seriousness, and intended... Uh, For it to be lived out among his people. So this passage is a very remarkable one. And I suppose in a very simple, uh, unobtrusive way, is a most startling declaration of this, this theme that we've been following. Who is this? And uh, as we consider the passage tonight, we will see how that question is answered uh, in a very, very uh, clear, this is the Christ. Um, in order to understand, I mean, uh, here we are 2,000 years on this side of this particular event and so we go, "Oh, well, certainly, yeah, you know there were unclean foods, but now no longer unclean foods. Um, but I want you to understand just the radical nature of what Christ was saying here, uh, and in a sense, uh, and most importantly, I think, his basis for saying so, where do we find where do we find those passages that Jesus was?" Implicitly addressing? Well, if we look back at Leviticus 11, and we'll read those just for context, you'll find in, Le- in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14 uh, directives contained in Scripture with regard to clean and unclean food. Let's let's just read, Uh, I think I've got, yeah, Leviticus 11, I'll start there. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites, of all the animals that live on land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof, completely divided, and that chews the cud. There are some that only chew the cud, Or only have a split hoof, but you must not eat them. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is ceremonially unclean for you. The coney, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is unclean for you. The rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is unclean for you. And the pig, though it has a split hoof completely divided, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. Of all the creatures living in the waters of the seas and, of, and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. But all creatures in the seas or streams that do not have fins and scales, whether among all the swarming things or among all the other living creatures in the water, you are to detest and since you are to detest them, you must not eat their meat, and you must detest their carcasses. Anything living in the water that does not have fins and scales is to be detestable to you. These are the birds you are to detest and not eat, because they are detestable. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, any any kind of black kite, any kind of raven, the horned owl, the screech owl, the gull, any kind of hawk, the little owl, the cormorant, The great owl the white owl the desert owl the osprey the stork any kind of heron the hoopoe and the bat all flying insects that walk on all fours are to be detestable to you they are however some winged creatures that walk on all fours that you may eat those that have jointed legs for hopping on the ground of these you may eat any kind of locust katydid cricket or grasshopper but all other winged creatures that have four legs, you are to detest. You are to make yourself un—you will make yourselves unclean by these. Whoever touches their carcasses will be unclean till evening. Whoever picks up one of their carcasses must wash his clothes, and he will be unclean till evening. And it continues on. Uh, and I'm looking for the passage which, in essence gets to the heart of the matter and that may be in Deuteronomy 14 uh, and, and uh, as I am looking for that in essence it says why this careful observance of what is clean and unclean for purposes of diet. And, and the, the answer to that is because you are a people holy to the Lord and consequently uh, people who are holy to the Lord set apart are not to participate in the eating of these unclean animals. Okay, holiness, uh, the underpinning of cleanness and uncleanness. Uh, Some people have tried to explain uh, the dietary laws of the Old Testament people of God through, well, it was better for their health. Uh, Trichinosis was the, uh, the point, avoiding trichinosis. No, that, that, it may have had that fringe benefit, but that was, that was not it. It was, you are to be holy to the Lord, set apart, and consequently that is to be reflected in these dietary restrictions. So then we look back then at Mark 7, and what is going on here is quite remarkable you may recall from last week, those first 13 verses, it was the Pharisees who asked Jesus, why aren't your disciples washing their hands the way they should? And again here, now this is not like your mom says, come on now, wash your hands, okay? That's not, uh, the, the Pharisees are asking for a different reason. Why aren't they washing their hands? They, they're they particip- participating by their failure to wash up. They are unclean in this uh, ritual, ceremonial sense. Uh, as, as Nathan has previously noted, uncleanness is, um, it's not a sin per se, okay, uh, but uh, in the case of the Pharisees, they took these rules. In the case of hand washing, it appears to have been a mere tradition of the elders. And so as we looked at this last week, it was, okay, this is a tradition of the elders, but uh, it's not something that should bind uh, God's people uh, as uh, an issue of morality. And consequently, Jesus came to the defense in what we read last week, came to the defense of his disciples and said, look, you're just focused on the externalities, Pharisees. And I intend uh, to help you refocus on what this is really about, the internalities, those true issues of what it means uh, to be my people and Jesus contrasted then last week contrasted uh, what the Pharisees were doing uh, with what he expected you have a fine way of set aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions and Jesus as we noted condemned that don't elevate your traditions above God's commands. But here this week uh, as we consider verses 14 through 23 here we have Jesus taking the next step and we have him saying it's not what goes into a man that that, that causes him to be unclean and so you note here that Jesus is, in a sense, redefining the territory. Or so it seems to us, uh, redefining the territory to say those dietary restrictions, uh, they no longer apply. Albeit, Jesus does not say that here It's very interesting. The editorial comment is contained uh, at the end of verse 19. This is presumably, uh, I think we can trust that this is Mark commenting upon what Jesus has said. And by saying that, I don't mean to subtract from the force of what Jesus has said one whit. It's simply that it's Mark, upon reflection, of what Jesus said here, saying, Jesus was really saying here in, in this discourse with the disciples, he was saying that all foods are clean. It's very interesting, uh just from a historical standpoint, uh, we assume from relatively reliable sources that Mark was very closely linked to Peter, okay uh, I think some have thought thought well, he was like Peter's nephew, uh, so we have Mark here very closely linked to Peter, uh, noting. In the editorial parenthetical, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Let's turn over for a moment to Acts. Acts 10. Because the import of Jesus' words here, as drawn out in Mark's parenthetical comment at the end of verse 19, that wasn't immediately obvious. The import of Jesus' words was not immediately obvious to the disciples. Uh, Acts 10, a story that you may remember well, and I'm going to pick it up. Uh, well, let me just read the whole thing uh, through verse 16, starting at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian regiment, he and all his family were devout and God fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius? Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants And a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching uh, the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. And uh, the importance of that action may not be immediately apparent to us, but Peter, by inviting, these people into his house was recognizing the truth of what he had just seen in a vision that which God has declared to be clean is clean and not unclean Um, so it's interesting as you take those passages from Leviticus from Deuteronomy from Mark 7 and then Acts 10 you get a sense of what's going on here a most startling shift to the religiously observant Jew. What was it that caused Peter to recoil with horror at the suggestion that he should get up and eat, kill and eat? Well, he was steeped, understandably, as uh, an obedient, observant Jew. He was steeped in the dietary restrictions that are presented by God to his people in Leviticus and again in Deuteronomy. Peter was there. From everything we know, Peter was there in Mark when Jesus gave his discourse on uncleanness. Uh, It did not apparently sink in right away. He goes through that experience there before being met by the delegation from Cornelius's uh, home, and at that point, uh, having seen in a vision uh, that what God has made clean were not to call unclean, uh, I, I, I can only speculate at some point after that vision, Peter thinks back and reflects upon what Jesus said in Mark 7. And realizes, "Ah, that's what the Lord was talking about there, okay That's what the Lord was talking about. So with that with that background, that background and that foreground, then we look again at Mark 7. Is there any question what the Lord's intent for his people was in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14? No, he intended. For his people at that stage of redemptive history he intended for his people to mark them as a holy people that they would abide by the dietary restrictions well you can understand then that being the case why that is so deep within Peter's bones and deep within the bones of the disciples and it casts light then on the tone that jesus adopts with them Uh, you you read mark 7 those uh, verses there he says listen to me everyone understand this nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him rather it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean and then a little time passes and the disciples ask what do you mean by this? And uh, Jesus, it's—I can laugh about it now when I read it, but He's chastising them. Are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing enters a man—that enters a man from the outside—can make him unclean. It doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach. Okay. It is, I mean, for us, uh, it is startling if we stop and think about it how Christ could take the verses of Leviticus 14 and take the verses of Deuteronomy 14 and say, this no longer has application. For us to do that would be blasphemy this is God's word and yet here the Lord is saying not what goes into you makes you unclean but rather what comes out of you Um, let's consider that for a moment we can see from our vantage point we say well yes that makes perfect sense uh, we are often very diet conscious, and we sometimes make a fetish out of our food. Uh, but we generally understand that from uh, the standpoint of, of morality, it's what issues from us that is the problem. Uh, be careful as, as you read this, this is not to say you can eat all of the junk food you want and it doesn't make a difference. That's not what, what they're saying. And when I say junk food, I'm not only talking about what you eat, but what you otherwise take in to your body. And yet we understand, and Jesus so perfectly clarifies here, what is it that matters it's what comes out of our heart, and I think uh, like I said at the beginning, this is such a powerful testimony as to the identity of Christ for who could say this, who could set aside in this brief discourse though he didn't he didn't in a sense. Uh, say the dietary restrictions no longer apply and yet and yet the apostolic witness here very clearly is the dietary restrictions no longer apply. And who could say that but the Lord himself? And consequently uh, this in a sense to the eyes and the heart of Peter a radical claim uh, to mark to others this radical claim underlines the divin- the divinity of Christ only the lord himself can can in a sense put himself in the place of those dietary laws and i reflected this week and i thought okay what is the connection Because one has to assume, I think, uh, properly understanding Scripture, Scripture testifies to Christ. Throughout its entirety, from beginning to end, it points to Christ. How is it then that the dietary laws are there by God's command for a season, until Christ comes and completes his work by which right he says as Mark notes in that parenthetical Jesus declares all foods clean and uh Let me just ask that question. I'm, I'm, I'm puzzling over that. What is it that enables Christ to say, by, what is it about the, the, in a sense, anticipatory, the looking forward nature of the dietary laws that enables Christ to say, it is finished? Any thoughts on that? And I ask it partly because I am still puzzling and and I'm in search of have I have I have I set up the answer correctly, John? Well I mean I think, well, the law points to Christ. Yeah. So when you have Christ, the law is like the name of Christ is the food,
1: you know, and you don't
0: need the law in a sense as much now of Christ. And yet and yet we note that the Decalogue, God's moral law, continues to have application in our lives. And we recognize, I think we do recognize the difference between God's moral law that continues, uh, what we call the third use of the law, continues to provide a guide for us. Christ uh, does not come to abrogate the law, but rather to fulfill it. And yet there's something here about the dietary laws where we can say, points to Christ, and when Christ has come, and completed his work then also with respect to the dietary laws it is finished and i'm 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 looking for a, a, a cogent uh, and john you're you're helping us move there uh, I'm, uh, I am feel like this.
1: of the law love. Do the right thing for other people. Yeah. The important thing was made, they manipulated it to not have to love their parents in the right way. And I think, you know, when Christ lives on us, like I say, in Christ, but we didn't say that. We yeah. Make, we, we have the law of Christ in us, which is the law of love. Right. The spring spirit. When Jesus Christ, the woman who developed, drink for me, springs of water, you know, come out. That's the spirit of Christ. Manifesting
0: the presence of Christ in our lives, coming forward. Right. No, no, and that's fine. And, and, and what I'm, I guess the question that I'm asking, because there is a temptation on our part to look at Old Testament believers and simply say, oh, they were just going through the motions. Okay. They were just going through the motions. And then when Christ came, then we all started really doing it and stopped, stopped going through the motions. I don't think that's correct. Okay, In other words, going through the motions is a perennial temptation. The particular way that, that the Old Testament believers would sometimes be, in a sense, lulled into that uh, was, I suppose you could say, uh, a function of... Of, in other words, uh, it's almost like the the, the law, uh, the law creates the problem. Okay, uh, and I I don't mean that in a sense of saying the law is problematic. It's just that sometimes our our particular temptation arises from the presence of a particular law, and yet I think we I think we properly say there's a strong unity of the covenants. Uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a strong unity. And what is it then that enables this pivot from the dietary restrictions to Christ saying, I've taken care of that. No longer, that was pointing to me, but it no longer uh, has application in your life. And so uh, I can say that with confidence that that's going on. I'm searching for the deeper, in a sense, the deeper meaning of that. Nathan. It, it, it is interesting. In each epoch
1: of the covenant, there's always a food command. So in the garden, work and guard the garden and eat all the plants. Uh, after Noah, you can now eat the animals, but drain the blood. Uh, they come to Mount Sinai. Here's the law. Here's the commands. This, I will be your God. You will be my people. And here's the food laws that will mm-hmm. this is still at Sinai. Um, and then with the new covenant in Christ's own blood, there again is a command about the food that now all things are, and I'm, I'm not exactly, there's still mystery to that, but there is, it does seem like there's an inbuilt uh, revulsion to what other cultures eat. But we find out, you know, someone else eats a dog or a camel and we don't and we think that's gross and they find out that we eat a pig and that's gross. You know, so there's this, and yet, the message of Acts you're reading earlier is to go to all nations with the gospel. And so to say, yeah, you eat X, Y, or Z, and that's gross. There, it's trying to break down those barriers. There's something kind of uh, deeply linked to our own yeah social mores of, of what we eat and not eat.
0: Okay. Well, that's helpful that that we have these various food commands at at different stages. Uh, a strong unity of the covenant. The point is always Christ, and yet that in a sense the deep meaning of that is unveiled as we progress in time and here when we reach the the work of christ uh and in christ is is not yet completed his work on the cross at this point which i think is probably i think i'm I'm engaging in just a bit of speculation here but i think it's fair to say jesus doesn't hammer this home and say leviticus 11 and, and deuteronomy 14 no longer apply he simply says look it is what comes out of a person that matters, not what goes into them. And it's subsequent to that, after the completion of his work on the cross, that that Peter has the vision and Peter and and, and others then in reflecting upon that, link it back to that teaching of Jesus and quite correctly note, Jesus was already saying this as he spoke to us in this particular context. I should
1: see also that not only is the every food declared clean, but we're also given a specific meal to eat. Yes. The, the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Um, which, as John pointed out earlier, is the opposite of this here that all these bad things come out of our hearts, and our hearts are right. But the Lord's Supper is the sign of our union with Christ. Yeah.
0: From which. From, from which health flows, yeah. yeah, no, thank you for that observation that that uh, there is often as as we progress through redemptive history, we have these these shifts that don't that don 't nullify uh, the point of what God was previously teaching us, but brings it closer and closer to christ, and here then uh, and consequently i think it's fair to say that this is entirely consistent with the message of mark who is this who is this who could say all foods are clean no one can say that except for christ himself who takes the 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 teaching of leviticus 11 takes the teaching of deuteronomy 14 and takes it upon himself and he becomes our food and drink to use, uh, to use Nathan's reference to the Lord's Supper. So um, I, I just leave it at that. I struggled with this passage this week and I, could, I, I knew the right answer. I, it was just like math for me. I, I was struggling at connecting uh, that message in Leviticus 11 with the completed work of Christ some reason to me this the holy spirit coming yeah yeah that uh, yeah that outpouring of the holy spirit at pentecost we recognize the presence of the spirit in the old testament and yet and yet there is something very real and there is a deepening in the pentecost where the Spirit is poured out and we have a reversal of Babel and everyone hearing the word of the Lord in their own tongue. Uh, yeah. So that closely in connection with the completed work of Christ and his ascension, we have, uh, we have Pentecost. I mean, Pentecost had been celebrated in uh, Jewish uh, circles for, for millennia. Uh, but it takes on in a sense a fuller expression in the outpouring of the spirit at pentecost uh, Chris? Just on a practical matter it make you yes no on a, on a practical level which links as uh, as nathan said links to the removal of of barriers that clearly the Lord himself is saying, this is, this is not a necessary barrier. Uh, Romans 14, Paul addresses uh, uncleanness or what is unclean. Uh, and, and, and we see these debates within the church moving us to that deeper understanding of the radical nature of Christ's work, which removes the wall of separation between uh, Gentile and Jew. Uh, so, a, a beautiful thing, and this, like I say, uh, not proper to think, oh, well, that was just all Old Testament foolishness. No, that's not the point that, that that's being made here. The Lord was preparing his people, uh, preparing them first by marking them as a holy people, separate from the nations, but then that comes to a fullness, a culmination in Christ, and consequently the message of Mark in a sense, is deeply underscored by that little parenthetical at the end of verse 19 in chapter 7. Um, Well, I wish that I could capture it more succinctly and more fully, but I think that we've conveyed the sense that it is only Christ who could say, uh, as he did, all foods are clean. And while it may not have been immediately obvious to those dull-witted disciples like we are. Uh, nonetheless, uh, by God's mercy, by the time uh, it comes to accepting the invitation to Cornelius's place, Peter, ah, finally it sinks in. Uh, so we'll just uh, leave it at that, and I will turn to you, Nathan. Nathan.